0: to the Money Monopolizers podcast, helping you take control of your financial destiny. It's about
1: time that we invest more in our financial literacy and work towards building generational wealth. If you think you're ready to do the same, then you've come to the right place. Alex, Marlon, y'all ready? Let's get this bread.
0: What's good, everybody? It's Alex Camuño here, and we are back with episode 57, of the Money Monopolizers podcast,
2: and I'm here with my co-host, Marlon Walls. Marlon, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. I ain't got too much going on this week. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've pretty much been chilling. I think I've been doing a lot of stuff with the website and all that uh, recently. Got some announcements coming up early, uh, probably next week, so I'm going to save that one. But as far as um, I guess I can keep uh, keep everybody updated with my journey of buying my house back in Houston, Offered on another property that was listed at 299 and offered. It's been on the market for like 28 days, and I said I'm going to offer it 250 because that's where my numbers will work. It's actually really overpriced for um, the square footage of it. They're trying to add the back house as the additional square footage to justify the list price. But in reality, it shouldn't be listed that high. So I offered 250 and they said that, oh, no, we're not going to entertain it. No no counter offer. I'm not offering 299 So doesn't work for me. I'll keep looking. But that's, that's my weekly update um what how everything going for you bro i'm doing
0: good doing good man shout out to everyone that uh bought the course so far um the how to acquire Your first uh flipper rental property course um there was definitely you know a, a a ton of people bought it so shout out to y'all it's still you know pre the pre is over course released saturday friday on the 25th but today is the 27th so it released two days ago it's been a um you know people are really liking it so far so getting some good feedback on it, um, adding some updates to it. Um, Definitely still trying to add as much value. So, you know, you can definitely go still get it. uh, Link in the bio. Um, It's now, um, you know, it's down on pre-sale. So when you get it, you immediately get it. You won't have to wait. Um, Everybody else that bought it had to wait a little bit, but you get it immediately now. Like I said, it comes with nearly 10 hours of content. So, you know, just teaching you kind of how to acquire that first deal. um, If you want to flip or if you want to hold, you know, hours and hours of content and video footage and just things that kind of guide you and give you that right information. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been good, but yeah, other than that, man, just been really, you know, trying to build these streams of income, man. That's really (laughs) what I've been doing this, I think Q4 2020, um, trying to get this next real estate deal. You know, I'm hopefully I'm interviewing another driver next week. Hopefully I think this guy could be solid. I'm actually going to meet with him. So hopefully, you know, we could get him in a truck and uh, you know, get the truck back up and rolling. That's been a headache for the past couple months, but once that's good, then you know, we will we will we'll be there. But like I said, I'm on my I have my goal to hit 6 to 7 streams of income by the end of the year, and it's definitely on pace for that. So um so far so good, man. I can't complain. I can't complain. Just just out here hustling and working. It's uh life is good though. I can't complain. But anyways, I don't want the intro to go too long. We had a great episode for y'all this week. Um, uh, we talked to Jerome Myers. Um, he is a um family large multifamily real estate investor, and he is doing a ton of stuff now in regards to his uh you know business. He's doing a lot of he well, I'll just say he owns, I think he said 93 units today, as of today, as of mm, September of 2020. So it's definitely he's definitely been, um, you know, making moves. He started investing not too long ago. I think twenty. he said November 2017. So it's been about two years and he's already, you know, accumulated almost 100 um, units. And he said his goal is a thousand units by 2028. So it's crazy that that's even a <laughs> thousand rental units. That's insane. But, man, this is what people out here are doing. And so, you know, him coming on our show is definitely an honor. Um, him reaching out to be on the show and just being able to talk to him and get his story um it was super insightful and he, he's a great storyteller man this is a great story i really enjoyed this episode just the way it, it the way it unfolded and um kind of the value that he gave and the the strategy that he gave this dude is a very smart dude very very smart yeah. dude. we actually he mentioned how he graduated as a civil engineer which is also what i did and he said he meant he graduated 3.9 gpa yeah not that that necessarily you know in in regards to real estate investing you don't need you know, 3.9 GPA and as an engineer, but that just kind of tells you, you know, the level of intellect that this dude has. So, um, I was definitely, you know, related a lot to his story because of, you know, you know, we did have that similar background in regards to being civil engineers and all that. And kind of talked about that throughout the podcast a little bit too. So definitely a great episode. One of my, um, you know, favorite episodes, definitely in terms of the value that was provided and just being able to, you know, gain him as a, connection and being able to have this guy in my rodex. It's uh I'm 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 happy about that too so.
2: Yeah, but what did you think of it? Now, uh, this is definitely one of the better guests that we've had on the show. Primarily, because we like his mindset for one. But what what I learned from him is that he's really disciplined, though, and that allowed him to be able to amass this real estate portfolio that he has now. And now, uh, what he talks about is how he's doubling it every year. So that, like, he's uh, even though he has ninety three units right now, he's still he's trying to double that by twenty twenty one, and then just so on and so forth until he reaches his goal. So definitely like that aspect of him. I think that's a great connection for us to even have in general. I also want to point out that uh, you you mentioned he reached out to us. I want to extend that invitation to any else who's looking to who may have like a compelling story that they want to share with us like literally if you go to moneymonopolizers.com I think on our contact page you can reach out to us and tell us why you think that you'll be a good fit on, uh, for it to be on the show and we can definitely uh try to set something up for y'all so it was a great opportunity to get to interview him and I think that's a valuable connection for both of us so it's a it was good overall though yeah for sure so let's
1: get into it
0: hey Jerome how you doing today
1: amazing appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, yeah,
0: man, I'm super excited to get into your story. Like I was saying, like uh, a little, we were talking a little bit before we um, started, but, you know, you reached out and, um, you know, we kind of mentioned how you found us. And I was like, man, the fact that someone that is doing something that I want to be doing is reaching out to, uh, you know, be on a podcast and, 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 you know, kind of, you know, be exposed to a, a, our audience is super exciting because I, like I said before, I want to be able to learn from you. And that's definitely what I'm looking forward to um, throughout this episode because you're doing exactly what i'm trying to be doing in the very near future so i uh, super excited to have on you to have you on and get into your story today
1: <clears throat> excited um, to be with you guys grateful for the opportunity
0: yes sir so um but yeah let, let's just we'll hop right into it typically how we start is we usually want to um you know f- we want to see like how our guests kind of grew up and the upbringing and um you know because it helps our audience be able to resonate with their story a lot more and see how impactful it could be showing like, hey, they came from either a similar situation or they probably even came from a, a worse situation and look where they are now. So, the, um, so you know, that being said, you mind like getting into your background in regards to like your upbringing with money when you were growing up, what you did when you were, let's say, you know, 18 years old, you, you know, you graduated, how, how did life look and then kind of what you're doing now. So kind of that whole um, transition from beginning to now.
1: Yeah, I mean the way I like to simplify it is: I'm the son of a stay-at-home mom and a soldier. Right? My parents decided that the best investment that my mom could make with their time was spending the time with me, and so my dad was a non-commissioned officer in the army. And the crazy story about them, just real quick, to bring everything full circle: they grew up really poor. Like a common my my grandma on my mom's side was a sharecropper. And my dad grew up with his grandparents and then moved with his parents when he was like 13 or 14 uh, to New York City, was there for a minute, like three years. Then he graduated from high school and went in the Marines just because he didn't want to be in the city anymore. Right. So two young people didn't go get any formal education after they graduated from high school, met in Alaska Right. Of all places and connected that way. Then eventually they got married. And, you know, 30 some years later, maybe even 40 years later at this point, you know, they made it all work. Just kind of step by step, just putting it together and making it happen. My story was a lot different. So, you know, when I was a kid, probably four or five, I told my mom, like, I want to be a garbage man. Right, and she kind of looked at me as only a mom could do. She's like, "Baby, that's not going to support the lifestyle that you want to live." I, <laughs> said, I know, but Lonnie pulls up on the back of the truck. He's hanging, right? He's hanging off the back of the truck. He jumps off, he grabs it, throws it in, pulls the lever. And come on, man! Y'all, I like y'all. Ain't pulled a lever before. You <laughs> pull the lever, man, and smashes the trash. Throws the trash can. He's back on the back of the truck, and he's home around the same time all the kids get out of school, right? So he's working early, he's back home about three o'clock. My dad worked the Carolina half day, and I know y'all not from North Carolina, so you might not know what that is. The Carolina half day is, you pick the 12 hours a day you gonna work. So my dad was at work before six, he came back home after six, every single day. And so what I learned from that is the value of hard work, the value of putting the time in and make sure that you produce the result. And I was like, man, that's amazing. But I also like this other thing, right? Where he's home early, he's able to greet his kids off the bus, he's got the freedom of being outside, and he's working with big equipment. So I was like, man, that that's so cool, I want to do that. Long story short, my mom said, look, you, you've you got to get a job that's going to afford the lifestyle that you want to live. And it was great advice, but today I make one tweak on that. you got to have income streams that afford you the lifestyle that you want to live, right? And so... I ran with that. I ran with that narrative of you got to get a job that's going to pay you. And so, fast forward to senior year in high school, I go to my physics teacher and say, "Mr. Ayers, I want to either be an engineer or a psychologist." He said, "Well, from a financial financial standpoint, the engineers make a whole lot more money than a psychologist, but they're both solving problems." And Jerome, I think you'd be good at either one of them. And so, of course, what I do, I want to be an engineer. Right. So I went to a and played football there for four years, graduated with like a three nine GPA and got to do some really cool stuff while I was there. The one thing I'll you know, do a pit stop on is I got an internship overseas in Eritrea or Eritrea, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> uh, we were building a communications building and for the American embassy there. All right, so I got that experience with construction. I was like, oh man, this is cool. You know, the whole reason why I picked civil engineering was because I wanted to see things built and I didn't really understand where I was going or what I was going to do, but that was kind of the idea behind all of it. And I'll be completely honest with you guys, like, and this just shows you how little I actually knew. When I was a senior in high school, I didn't even know what an engineer was. It was because I had a little internship thing where I was like a job shadowing type situation where I was like, oh, so the engineer is a person who designs all this stuff. And that's why they get compensated the way they do. The only engineer I knew of was a person that drove the train, right? So back to big equipment and things making noise. So, you know, I go to AT, I graduate, and then I got two decision points. I could either go pursue my PhD at the University of South Florida, or I could start working. And I chose to start working because I was like, it's time to build wealth. Right. So and the cool thing at that juncture is because it was like 2005, you know, I I had a signing bonus for when I was uh, starting that job. And I was able to close on my first home before I had my first day at my real job. And for me, that was like, okay, I'm doing the thing. Right. So I had this house. I had acreage. I was like, yeah, I'm balling. the reality of the situation, I wasn't, right? Like My mortgage was so high that it was like half my income, like half my take homes, like just the ratios aren't right. And as I've gotten older, I've realized how important those ratios are for you to be able to do everything. And I really got distracted. If I'm totally honest, I thought that I was going to be able to buy a personal residence and a rental property when I first came out of school. But instead, I got big eyes and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to just go ahead and get the nicer house, right, instead of trying to do both. And I think that in and of itself was probably one of the big financial mistakes I made early just because, you know, if you go read that Rich Dad Poor Dad book, I was going to tell you that house is not an asset, guys. It's a liability, right? And so I took my income and put it into a liability, as everybody mm-hmm. in the middle class does, right? They want everybody to know they're doing well. And instead of putting it into an asset that was going to pay for that liability. And so, you know, fast forward, I I just go on a corporate career and I'm doing the thing. I'm on the fast track. I'm meeting with executives. I got mentors. And then 2009 happens. And I'm in a job that I hate. I mean, literally, I hate. And there's no way out because the guy that was sponsoring me, his position got eliminated. And so I sit in that job for like 30 months trying to figure out how I'm going to get out and just go through a bunch of changes and start questioning all kinds of stuff. And for me, like 2010 is one of those situations where everything changed for me. And so May of 2010, I got my last haircut. And so 10 it's been 10 years that I've been on this journey of just becoming this better person and truly beginning to understand the nature of human beings and what we're actually placed on this earth for. So I said a lot. I'll pause right there and see let you guys do some unpacking. That's cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm glad you gave us a chance to kind of attack this because <laughs> that was a lot and that was a lot I really want to get into. First of all, I'll go in there more you could kind of comment. Um yeah, you but, in. yeah, first of all, I really I really, you know, love that you mentioned um, you know, that that mindset about how, how, the 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 way you approached um you know just get buying a house when you graduated right so you said that you went and bought the house that's half of your income right and a lot of people do that similar do that like as soon as they graduate they want to now they got the income you know they got you know free i don't have to go to school i don't have to do that now i'm balling right now so they go and you know that that first house that most people end up buying usually is like the death of their dreams um, in regards to finances, right, and this goes for even vehicles too. That first car, that first house that you get, right when you graduate, is going to be the death of your dreams if you buy it the wrong way, right? Because a lot of people go and they want to go buy the house that's the, at you know if the the bank says, hey, you're pre-approved for four hundred fifty thousand. They go in and buy the house that's four twenty. Um, if the if they if you can get a car that's you know forty thousand dollars, they go and buy the car that's forty thousand dollars, and now literally from there, you literally start on a cycle of just, you're never going to be able to escape that, right? So the fact, I'm really glad that you mentioned the the mentality of, you know, I always say if the first house that everyone should be buying should be the asset, a duplex or, you know, a triplex, something that they can house hack and, you know, let their number one housing be paid for, and then they can move out and let that house pay for that asset. Um, the, 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 the house that they really want to buy in the future after you get a few more of them. So I'm really, you know, Glad that you really mentioned that one too, Marlon. You could, if you, I know you want to comment, you could say something before I say.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just going on off of what Alex is saying what you uh, tend to see often in just in our American society is like the, what I call the, the debt trap, and that's pretty much once you got a college, you are literally stacking up all the expenses and liabilities that you can before you even get started, good enough into your uh, into your career. So you're looking at buying the house, like Al, I just use all the numbers Alex had. He said four fifty for the house. 40000 for the car, seven, and I'm going to also add in, you may have a few student loan, you have, may have student loan debt, so that may be like another 70000 That's That totals up to $560,000 in, uh, in all types of uh, forms of debt that you are, have accrued before you even start getting, got your feet wet into your career. So now you've already are on an uphill battle of trying to get out of debt and you are pretty much setting yourself behind when it comes to trying to like become financially independent or trying to build wealth because you're always you always have some type of expense that you have to continuously work hard in order to overcome because once you um once all of your income you said half your income is just going to housing alone you still have a car you still have food you still have other other lifestyle expenses that you are going to accrue. So you need to so now you your entire focus is just continuously go to work. You say you're working in job that you hated and what you really didn't have a way out at the time because you were that that house was literally holding you hostage in a way yeah. it's like hey you gotta got pay this gotta pay me bro like if you missed that month of payment trying to build a business then hey i'm you're gonna be foreclosed on so now you're like that's why i said it's like a debt trap like you literally are trapped in this cycle of having to go to work get the money in order to pay it off so um I, i'm i guess i'm gonna let alice continue on i'll show sure you, I'm sure you like a, a lead-in question from there. yeah mm-hmm. i mean
0: i I, I want him to continue the story from that point too, yeah, so we for can sure. kind of get into it. Because I don't want to—I don't want the episode to be two hours. But, you know, <laughs> I know you know at that point too. Like Mona said, you kind of stuck in that job. It's 2010 at that point. Of course, you know we see what happens at the housing bubble in 2008, 2009, 2010. Things take a bottom. You mentioned, you know, you talk about a rental property. Can you talk about kind of what happened at that point? You know, 2010 and then moving forward in that, in that regard.
1: Yeah, so I just want to emphasize this point. So I stopped getting haircuts. People started asking questions like, what's going on? What are you doing? You're going to sabotage. Because my goal was to run a division of that Fortune 500 company I was working for. Mm -hmm. You can't do that doing what you're doing. I was like, what do you mean? Like, What difference does it make? Like, My skin's still going to be brown. My nose is still going to be broad. And my lips are still going to be full. So if the thought is, well, I'm less African or whatever you want to call it when I walk in the door, because I have a nice clean cut. I I just don't know if I buy it. And I think the question really became, well, do people know what to do with you? Do they know how to take you? Do you want to create a situation that's more challenging for yourself? And I just kind of looked at him and was like, well, if it's meant to be, it's going to be at this point, I'm just going to do what feels authentic to me. Right. Mm. And so Fast forward, you know, at the end of that I doubled my income a few years later, like the situation was just kind of insane. I went from, you know, driving my Camry to driving a GTR. It it was adding on like more debt or adding on more obligations. And building that lifestyle but doing it the right way right so you know i bought that before i actually started working but i was aggressively saving i was maxing out 401ks like i was doing all the things you were supposed to do and that gave me permission to do some of the other stuff right and i think other, everybody emulates the back end because that's what they see nobody actually sees the work and so when i was making my moves i was continuously saying hey Well, if you haven't maxed out your 401k, this probably doesn't make sense for you to spend your money that way. I'm doing it because of X, Y, and Z. And it gave me an opportunity to really educate folks on the journey and not just saying, oh yeah, well I'm gonna get the flyest whip I can get or I'm gonna get the coolest house or I need that extra trip to, and I need the VIP bump or whatever it is, right? Like we gotta be producers and not consumers. And Mm -hmm. I think our community in general has just been consumers. Mm -hmm. And when you consume, make sure you're consuming something of value, right? And I think especially in like the financial literacy and a real estate game, there's some people out there who are peddling stuff that's not real, right? Just to get people who want to make generational wealth they want to take advantage of them. So I, and all they do is end up taking them backwards because they're not giving them real game is what I would like to call it. And so, you know, personally, I've taken a stand on that. And I call people out when I see things that aren't real. They aren't making a promise that the person can actually fulfill. I, I don't want people to give them that money because that money's better off just sitting in a bank account than it is being spent that way. And the other thing that it does when people go down that path is it makes them not trusting of people like you and us, right? If if somebody does them wrong and then you got to show up and you've got a legitimate opportunity to educate them or a legitimate opportunity for them to partner with you on the deal and they've been done wrong already, then you've got to overcome that baggage. It's kind of like getting a girlfriend who's been in a poor relationship, right? You know mm-hmm. all the stuff from the person that came before you before you can actually do the thing that you want to do and you didn't even earn You know, those struggles. And at the end of the day, for me, I think this is all about integrity. And I think within the culture, particular, we got to protect each other, right? I think we got to be looking out for each other's best interests. There's enough people that are exploiting and taking advantage of our community. And I think it's super, super, super important that people like you um, protect your platform and only give it to people who are actually doing things the right way with a true intention of making a real impact on the community. So again, you know, I'll I'll get off my soapbox, but (laughs) that's a key point for me because I think everybody's looking for hacks, right? They want to figure out the shortcut, but a shortcut always leads to a dead end. Eventually, (laughs) you run into a place where you can't get out of that corner. Mm
2: So you mentioned a few things that I like. So the first one was that you mentioned how you wanted to make sure, well, after like 2010, you start. You had like some type, some sort of mindset shift where you were saying, okay, I need to go earn my right to go buy the things that I want. So that's going to be by increasing income, by increasing my portfolio. So you, were, you said you're investing in 401k, but one thing you said is that you doubled your income. And I didn't want to gloss over that because I thought that was pretty important because about how you went about doing that. Was that through just your job? Was that through investing in the 401k? Was that through buying real estate? How did that start? coming about
1: yeah so i think the biggest thing was just i changed jobs three times right Mm -hmm. and so what happens when you stay in a at a company and not just jobs but i change companies so when you stay at a company for a long time there's this gap where you're kind and i call it kind of like this it's like loss to lease right if people have a unit and it's rented by somebody and market rents are going up you typically don't take them to market rent every year on a renewal. There's usually some form of a gap, right? When you stay at a company for a long time, rates may be going up for the new people they bring in, but they don't bump you up as much as the market's going up to get that new talent. And so you got sometimes you got to make that shift. You got to move to that next space so that you can maximize your benefit. But a few things happened. I finished my MBA. I got my engineering license. I'm a licensed civil engineer. I got my project management professional certification. And there may have been one other thing. I think I got my master black belt in Six Sigma. And so those four qualifications made me worthy of more income, right? Just from the W-2 standpoint. Outside of that, you know, I was lending money. I was a hard money lender because I had disposable income at that point. And so I was getting the income from that as well. And uh, i hadn't bought any more property at that point. well, I take that back in twenty ten I did close on a bigger house, right? so that first home became a rental property, and then we mm-hmm. bought got a bigger house at that point too so twenty that doubling of the income was probably between twenty ten and twenty fifteen where that that big shift came, so you know it was only like five years, but it, it was a major number change,
0: yeah, and that's that, I, I really I, I like that too a lot because <laughs> approaching it from that perspective, and that's really a unique way, especially when you talk about lending money. Because in a sense, I assume, I mean, because the fact you were maxing out your 401k, you were probably sitting on a good amount of cash that you had, you know, the ability to lend. And that's a really interesting investment approach because that's, essentially, I mean, that's investing money as well. A lot of people think, oh, investing, I got to go buy real estate, I got to go buy stocks, I got to do that. Like, No. If you have cash, you know, expendable cash in that regard, then you can make money just literally off of putting your money in a different bank account. Um, So, you know, being able to do that is, you know, that's really commendable. So then at that point, then that was okay. So 2015, um, you know, the real estate market started getting really hot at this point. So you had bought another house, you bought a bigger house then you had the previous uh, house become a rental property. When did you decide, like, because obviously now, you know what you're doing now you know there was some there was a shift at some point to where you know it's like okay the w2 that's not I, I can't rock with that for the rest of my life um i'm going to have to kind of i'm at to you know become a 100% producer right and just sh- shift into that b quadrant or that i quadrant um and we look at the cash flow quadrant so when did that transition happen and what caused that what was the catalyst of that
1: Yeah. Yeah, So the last role, and I usually lead in with this, but for your listeners, I wanted to make them listen a little bit before we got there. Right. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to be employee number two at a company that was taking over half power lines and putting them underground on January 13th of 2015. By September, my team was up to 175 employees. By the end of the year, we did 20 million in revenue. And I made six million dollars profit for the company, right? So thirty percent margins. My reward for that was on Christmas Eve talking to the guy that just became my supervisor. And him saying, "You're going to have to lay off about half of that workforce." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah." Um, I said, "We just I just made six million dollars." He's like, "Yeah, we we're going to cut them." And he's like, "You can do it, or somebody else can do it, but we, we need to reduce the workforce." And so I spent Christmas Eve through. New Year's figuring out who's going to have a job when we went back to work, right? And that was the first time I was an ax man. And I had a problem with it. I was like, there's something wrong with this. I mean, I didn't really sleep. I didn't really eat for that time. And it was just like, I'm not cut out for this. Right. I'm, I'm going to get through this because that's what leaders do. But I'm never going to do this again. Not from somebody who wasn't there with me. Like I had three different bosses that year. I saw them once a month, maybe once every other month. And I talked to them once every other week. And that was, you know, it was just me and the people on the ground building this thing from nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I promised myself I wouldn't do that. You fast forward to Thanksgiving of the following year, and we're doing the same thing. The day before we go away for Christmas break, it's like, or not Christmas break, Thanksgiving break. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, uh, don't spend a bunch of money on Black Friday. We're not sure what's going to happen. (laughs) And All right. And so you know that was that was it. I was like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm done with this. And so I dropped out. Right? I was like, I'm I'm just not going to be in a situation anymore. I I can do better. And so what I happened was I went back when that when I realized that's where we were going again. I went back to sophomore year in college. Me and my buddy Duran were sitting on the stoop and we we're doing math. That's what engineering students do in their stoop. like I reach we counting the money? Right? Yeah. For, like, for sure. <laughs> I was paying 395. I had two roommates paying 395. He had the same situation downstairs. We multiplied it out around the complex. The man was making 700 grand. It's like, I don't need to make 700. I just need to make you know 350. I can make 100, right? And it wouldn't matter because it's done. So we did that. And we didn't know how though, right? Go back to my upbringing, right? My parents. My dad was enlisted, man. My mom stayed at home with me. like we didn't we didn't have lawyers and attorneys and property owners coming over to the house and talking about their holdings. We weren't going around picking up rent checks. so I had no idea how you did it or what you did. but at this point I had some cash in the bank. I had some net worth. I had some liquidity, I had a credit score. Uh, I was like, okay, maybe the banks want to lend to me, and so you know, I'm start looking for deals, and I get there, and I take one to the bank. I'm like, hey, I got this amazing opportunity. I need a million two to go ahead and do this, and they look at me and like, what? I was like, oh, I need a million two to go buy this building. I mean, that's what you do, right? You just go to the bank to get the money. It's like, um have you done this before? I was like, no, but I just built a $20 million division for a fortune 550 I just made 30% profit margins two years in a row. Like I know how to run a business. I, it was my P and L you're like, yeah, but have you done this? It's like, no, I'm a licensed engineer. I got an MBA. I started giving them all the certifications for corporate America. Right. Cause that's what matters. Right. right. That's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> Certification. It's like, no, Go get an experienced partner. I was like, I don't know anybody that does this. What do you mean I need an experienced partner? I got money in the bank. I got an 800 credit score. And I just did this thing in business. He's like, But you haven't performed on this business plan of a property of this size. And I was crushed. Because it wasn't just one bank. I went to 10 banks and went through the same thing over and over again. Right. So I had to start fixing and flipping because I wasn't going to be able to buy that first apartment building. And I was sitting on the stoop of... One of the most ambitious projects I had. And the guy pulled up. He was like, Hey, man, let me check out your finishes. We're getting ready to do one of these down the street. Oh, come on in, man. Proud, you know, show him off my flip. And he starts talking. He's like, Hey, I'm getting ready. You know anything about that building? I'm like, what building? That 23 unit down there by the Chumbo Mart. It's like, Yeah, I tried to buy that four or five months ago. He said, I'm getting ready to make an offer on it. I was like, You're the guy I've been looking for, right? You're the guy. I need an experience partner. He just bought one. So he already had one in the bank. And I, I, I need you, right? And he he said, What are you going to bring to the table? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Just don't leave me out. He said, No, no. Like, how much money are you going to bring? I'm, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Just bring me in on a deal. And sure enough, he went and made the offer without me, right? He didn't need me. I couldn't tell him what I could do for him in order for him to need me to partner. And that's the biggest thing. Like if somebody doesn't need you in a partnership, they're not going to partner with you. There is no charity, right? They're, they're going to partner with you because you bring some value to the table or you've come into some arrangement with them that makes it such that that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So he went and made the offer. It didn't get accepted. He went and talked to a guy that I used to lend money to. It was like, yo, Uh, I need you to come into this deal with me and be the GC because he had his general contractor's license. He didn't know I had my contractor's license, too, because now since I'm a flipper, I need my contractor's license. Right. Anyway, certifications don't matter, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we get in. He's like, oh, Jerome brought me that deal three or four or five months ago. I'm only doing it if he does it. And so that's how I get deal, Right. So it's the three of us, then two other guys join in. So we buy this 23 unit for 1.27 or something like that. It's a disaster. We, we pour a ton of money in. And I'm glad the bank didn't make that loan because I'd be bankrupt. If the bank had to loan that money to me to go do that project by myself, I would have ran out of cash because I underestimated the rehab budget. And the amount that it was underestimated would have wiped out everything that I had in savings. I probably would have ran the project a little bit differently, but at the end of the day, it would have, it would have crushed me.
2: Oh man! I, I'm oh, gonna man. Try not to say That's too much. This is crazy. That was, that was a great, great story. You want to say something? Yeah, I mean, I I want yes. to say a lot. Yes, I think <laughs> we both want to say a lot.
0: There's so <laughs> much I want to I want to comment on. Man, yeah. this is. I I love the way the story is unfolding. By the way, you're a really good storyteller. Um, You really know you have that. You have that skill. That's just a side note. But (laughs) I did want to just from the beginning too, because you have kind of mentioned how like um, you you know engineers be counting money, and you know y'all went back to the back to the sophomore year. You looked at how many um, you know people was actually living in that. And I swear, I literally did the same thing. I did it by myself because, I mean, I was I didn't really had nobody at that time that I was kind of like thinking like that. But I did the same thing and it was like, I, I lived in like a, you know, the student housing place, right? I'm paying $500 and I had three roommates paying $500. So we each, pay, it's $2,000 just in one apartment. I'm like, hold up. It's like 20 buildings here. They running on probably seven figures every year just on this place. And I was like, man, this is crazy. And that's I mean, that's, there's a sign I really want to come on that. But then, you know, kind of just transitioning into it, like, I love the um, <laughs> the way you kind of approach the bank, too, in um, kind of time to time. Well, it's funny because, you know, you went to them and telling them, like, yo, I got all these credentials. I should be able to get this money. And meanwhile, these are all, you know, W-2 credentials. Um, they're not necessarily, you know, the credentials that, you know, when we look at the cash flow quadrant, you got to have different credentials in each quadrant. Right, <laughs> they they don't they don't necessarily uh, qualify each other um, in different quadrants. So, but you still getting told no by the bank that didn't stop you though. And that's what I really loved about this whole thing is every the I what I noticed is that the most ex- people that become successful it's because everybody has those roadblocks. Everybody gets told no, but the people that actually become successful are the people that determine okay, why did they tell me no? What should I do now? You know, and, and that's when you started working backwards. Right. And you said, OK, I can't buy this apartment complex right now as is. I mean, they told me I can't do it so I could just go flip and, you know, start creating that equity. Right. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of see that it worked out for the for the better. The, the fact that, you know, that they didn't lend you that money could have been disastrous. So that's really commendable. I really want I don't want I don't I, don't, I, I could say more, but I don't want to get. <laughs> I want Marlon to
2: comment, too. I don't want to hog it. There's plenty of stuff to unpack in that whole story. One thing I thought about when you first started talking was how you saw that there was literally no control when it came to your W two job. Like you literally saw, you built a port, like a um a, a team of 175 people, and they said cut half of them. Just like and just like with a snap of a finger, like half the people could be gone. You could be in that half. Is what I was thinking. I'm like, bro, like. You are you are dis- dispensable, just like everybody else that they were trying to cut, and that's what that's what people need to start realizing about their W two jobs, like. This is not guaranteed. Like people always preach a safe and secure job, but at the end of the day, you are just a number, bro. And that number can be replaced. Like it doesn't matter about Marlon Walls, uh, Jerome Myers, Alex Camuyo. That name does not matter. Just that that little spot needs to be filled. It, that name is replaceable at a heartbeat. And I think a lot of people saw that this year, especially with like the virus. Like people, like you can be cut off in an instant. So that control factor you have. You have zero control when it comes to that. So I commend you, first of all, just by taking that leap and saying I'm going to go go do something where I can control and be the producer, where I'm going to be the one that has to say on, on whether I make money or not. So yeah, like Alex was mentioning, though, the way you went to the bank was hilarious, though, because you said, hey, bro, listen, I've got an 800 credit score. I got the um, I just built 20 million portfolio over here with my with my job. Like, I, I got
1: it, bro. What you talking about? Put this in. I haven't said this anywhere, man. The guy wrote me back on the email. He's like, Jerome, we got your 55 page business plan. And we think it's great. But you don't have the experience to execute it. I was like, "Gosh, <laughs> man!" Laid <laughs> it out for you that's
2: crazy bro but that's what it's all about though because i told alex this like a few episodes ago it's probably i don't know even know what episode it was it's like when you start starting a business or when you're trying to get into investing they're not looking they don't care nothing about your uh, gpa your resume they don't they, they ain't worry about none of that like you don't have to bring in your mba in order to go get a, a loan for a house like that's not what they're looking for and they, they look what especially when you're talking about apartments they're looking for experience are you have you done this this is a whole different quadrant than what you're talking about on that resume. So we're not going to listen to somebody who is ignorant in this particular space because we've seen what happens. And I guess you, you were able to see firsthand what happens to people um, when they're going with, with lower experience in that regard. But just want to start moving the story forward now. Like, um, how, So you did your flip deals and you did this deal. So I'm guessing that you were pretty discouraged because you were losing a lot of money on this deal. So what kept you pushing forward and what's your next deal look like moving forward from there?
1: Yeah, I wasn't really discouraged, man. I just felt like it was probably <clears throat> process we and I didn't even you know on the hindsight it's like oh that didn't work the way it was supposed to but going through the process it's like oh well you know it's just a roadblock we're gonna shake and move and go to the next thing or pivot 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 until you actually get to the place where you can make that shot and so you know just to put things in perspective so we took that thing down we redid the roofs the siding landscaping parking lots tuck walls out because these are townhome units Redid all the tile, redid all the floor, and painted the walls out of granite. Jackhammered the floor so we could add a half bath on the first floor. Added laundry room. Like we changed the whole project. And when we took that property over, rents were like six ninety five. You guys understand cap rate, so you're gonna appreciate this. Mm-hmm. Today we rent those same that same property for eleven ninety five a unit. Mm. So you know the struggle is worth it as long as you can get mm-hmm. to the back end, right? And that's what a lot of people don't understand. And that's the thing with flips, right? Like once you get into the flip, it doesn't matter what comes up. You just got to keep going through the flip to get to the exit. And right. same thing with the apartments. You got to keep going through to get to the exit. So once you're in, if anything pops up that you didn't understand, then you can get hammered. And a perfect example that I like to use, and i just throw it out there for your listeners, is if you're doing a flip and you underestimate your AC budget by... $2,000, it's $2,000. That's probably covered in your contingency. Yeah. You run estimate estimated AC unit on a 23 or 25 unit apartment building by $2,000? That's half a million.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now I, I want to comment on that before you continue on. That's why uh, we do talk about like starting off small when it comes to if you've never did real estate in your life and have no experience with it. It is good to start small with those flip flip renovations or just single family, a couple maybe a small multifamily, because your mistakes would be magnified if you get into a twenty three unit, a fifty unit, and this is your first or second real estate deal. Like if you have no experience, and that's that is a good reason to at least start off small unless you are partnering with somebody who really knows what what they're
1: doing. Yeah. And so what, what you'll see, though, is a lot of the educators in the space will say, go big or go home. Right? Go buy a hundred unit building. But if you haven't had the business experience or you haven't had the investing experience, you can't get here from there, if that makes sense. Right. Because you don't actually have the requisite experience to be successful in the space and being smart is only half the battle. You need connections to resources. You you need to be able to make phone calls and make problems go away. If something comes up and you have to write that check for the half a million because you underestimated it, the bank's not going to give it to you, by the way. You, you got to have that network so that you can make that problem go away or you lose the whole project. So, you know, I, I don't want people to just try to eat the whole elephant from the beginning. Like I call it getting tuna in a boat. Go do that smaller deal. Go do a 10 unit. Go do a 12 unit get the experience and then step up to the next one and then double up and keep doubling on each deal or do deals of the same size until you can find the right one to make that big leap. But, you know, people just wanna go in, oh yeah, you you gotta go buy the seven series before you buy the three series. No, like it's okay to have a three series,
0: yeah. it's okay. And I, I wanna comment on that too because like I had mentioned before, we are trying to buy our first apartment complex next year, right? And I think one thing that a lot of people like because a lot of people see that and realize, oh, man, they just are just going straight into that. But like, no, it's a lot of people don't think about positioning when they're getting started in business. Like positioning is a really big thing that a lot of people don't think about because a lot of people what happens is they'll try to be making move number 13 at step number five. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff like you talked about just it's you know, the deal itself is just a small part of the actual thing. There's so many other things that come before that in regards to the networking, in regards to the other soft skills and the intangibles that you need to be able to have to get the deal done or to be able to solve problems. You don't necessarily have the capacity to solve those problems if you're if you should be working on move number two while you're at and you're at move or you're trying to do move number 13. So that's really key. And that just goes to everything, too. Even like we don't even have to be talking. real That's just life in general or even just on a smaller scale, too. It's just you have to know what you should be doing at this moment. And that's why I always tell people you need to be working backwards so that you can get to the smallest thing that you could be doing now today. That so, and Number one, it keeps you accountable and always keeps you taking action on what you should be doing to move forward. And also make sure you're not skipping any steps, too. You're going to be able to account for everything that you need to be doing. You'll be able to make sure you're going to networking events and, you know, uh, reading the right books and talking to the right people and those same things. So I think that's a really key. I'm glad you mentioned that. <clears throat>
2: Another um, I had a, just another question because uh, so for us, I would just, I know this probably be for our personal benefit, honestly, because when you're looking at single families versus multi-families, it's going to be a process about getting it, just getting into the deal in general. And I'm, I, there's a few different factors I wanted to get into, but the first one I'm just thinking in your case, you talking about how you had, you had a whole bunch of different renovations that came up that were just extra costs that, that were coming on to you. And so like when you are getting into a single family house, uh, you we have like an inspection where you would go, where you have an inspector walk, walk the property and tell you anything that you may want to, and ask a seller for before you get in, before you get into a bad deal. Is there a similar process for multifamily? family Like, um, was there any way to mitigate the what you had went through in this first deal in that twenty-three unit?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had an inspection. They went through everything. We we saw the report. We had the report. It's just a matter of executing against it. And I mean, th- there's a few things that change, like it's a different level of drawings that you have to do when you're going in and doing a project like that right so we didn't actually go through and get the drawings we needed beforehand and make sure that our permits were situated the way that they should be situated coming into the deal and so had we done those things i think we would have been better off the other thing that we didn't do that i think was super important is we ignored the building was settling so we had a building where one of the corners was settling because there were some issues with the rainwater not being moved away from the foundation properly. And it settled so much that it snapped the waste pipe. And so when we were walking through the units, we saw that like sewage, well, today I know that it was sewage was backing up and then spilling over and ruining the cabinets. The faces were eating up. And we thought, oh yeah, it's just water. It's nasty. We're just going to rip those out. No big deal. But when we really got into it and started adding in the piping for that new bathroom on the first floor that we put in, we realized that, oh, the whole sewer line was separated. And the reason why the sewage was backing up was because the sewer line wasn't tight. And, you know, that, you know, that was 30 grand by itself. You know what I mean? So if you're not prepared for that type of stuff, we just ignored the signs. There were signs for everything that showed up. We just didn't do it. We had some people... (laughs) come in and steal the HVAC units because we tuck the property all the way to 0% occupancy. And so we had some people come in and steal the old HVAC units and they literally like they had the cages on them. So they tuck it apart in the cages piece by piece and then tuck out the copper. Mm-hmm. But since it was vacant, you know, there was nobody to report that. You do that right. in the park and, and So you know, we learned a time, man, at the end of the day, and then you just take that and, and roll it on. But yeah, I mean, absolutely get third party inspection, and then you use that inspection to negotiate with the seller of the property.
0: Yeah, and so, in regards to like kind of um, there was something I wanted to ask, but I forgot. In regard, but in regards to like where you're at now, so from that deal, obviously, you learned a lot. I was with 23 unit. I think, I don't think you mentioned it. That one was in January of 2019, right.
1: No, that was in November of 2017.
0: Oh, that was was the very first one. Sorry. Okay. Um, But I'm sure you learned a lot from that one. So what does your portfolio kind of look like now for the listeners so that they can kind of...
1: Yeah, so we've done a 26, a 23, a 20, a 10, and an 8. And then we've got a five unit, like two single family homes and a duplex too. Nice.
0: And so this is through your... uh, You own a real estate just acquisitions company, and that's the Myers Method brand and all of that, correct?
1: Yeah. So the Myers Development Group is where we buy all of our property, right? And then Myers Methods, we we decided that we would package up how we do it and offer it to the people as an education and coaching company.
0: Uh, Okay. Got you. Got you. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I think, uh, well, did you want to comment on that, Marlon? Because I was about to- Uh, No, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So as far as like, you know, after that first deal, the 23 unit. Right. So I i, I mean, one theme that I got from that, too, is kind of y'all were like probably very eager just to kind of even get into that deal. So that's probably, you know, a big reason why, you know, you say you ignored a lot of stuff, you know, stuff that you probably could have, you know, at least either negotiated or even just step, walked away from the deal altogether. Um, but I'm sure like that whole eagerness played a part. But as far as um, cause I know you said that was like a partnership and you do like JV and stuff. Is that primarily how you've been financing a lot of your deals now, just in terms of like, uh, JVs or, cause I know you we were talking before you say you don't syndicate. So.
2: And tell what JV is for the listeners too, before you even get into it too much.
1: Yeah. So this is one of my favorite things to explain. So yes, we're, we're the joint venture group and we're probably the only education group that talks about it. Right. Uh, so every, I I hope the majority of your listeners have been on a plane at some point or another, right? So you got your ticket in your hand. You walk up to the lady at the counter. It could be a guy. She scans it, right? You get on the jet bridge. You walk over to the plane. You wave at the steward and stewardess. You look in. You look at the pilots, make sure they're not drunk. Then you go sit in your seat, right? (laughs) That's a syndication, right? You don't have a say. You know, you paid to get on the plane. Basically, every dollar you put in, you... You don't get a dollar of equity for every dollar you put in in a syndication situation. You get some fraction of that. It's 80-20, 70-30, 75-25, whatever the splits are. That holdback, that 20%, that 25% or that 30% goes to the people that are working on the syndication or the people who are flying the plane, right? So the pilot, the stewardess, the people who put the food on there, all of those folks are getting paid to be in on the plane with you and everybody's going together, but some people are paying to be on the plane, others are getting paid to be on the plane, right? So that syndication joint ventures is like a fighter pilot. And you know, I told you guys, my dad was a soldier, right? We used to have planes flying over our house all the time. And so I wanted to be a fighter jet pilot in addition to being a trash man. So I don't know how it's gonna work that out, but I wanted to do both, right? So for me today, like I'm a fighter jet pilot. Everybody that is in my joint venture has an active role. They're responsible for some piece of the project. Could be helping with due diligence. It could be the operations with the property manager. It could be solving a problem with whatever, finding vendors, whatever it is. And we do that so that the people who signed the loan have that experience piece. And I, I guess I never really landed that plane for you guys, right? So you don't have experience from the bank's perspective until you signed a loan. And so for the people who are getting told, hey, invest in this deal so you can get experience investing in apartments, well, that's great that you put your money in the deal, but the bank still doesn't see that as experience. Mm-hmm. They don't see it as experience until you sign a loan. So we did that first one to sign a loan. And part of the reason why we do joint ventures is because we want people, at least one new person, to be able to sign their own loan going that forward. And then they get the opportunity to stay with us if they enjoy the operations. But if they want to go build their own thing, we open the door. Your listeners will be familiar with fraternities or sororities, right? And so you don't get in a fraternity or sorority unless somebody brings you in. Multifamily investment is very, very similar, right? Somebody has to bring you in with that experience in order for you to get in the game. And I'm actually going through that right now because we're doing 120-unit development. And my partner on the deal has done a number of different HUD programs where, you know, you're getting these crazy loans where they amateurize for 40 years, interest rates are under 3%, and it's not a recourse for the construction of that property for, you know, the entire time that you have it. Like that is a totally different ball game than going mm-hmm. to get the recourse debt from a community bank. And so but the only way that you can do one of those is if you have somebody on the team who's done one before. Mm-hmm. And so he's opening the door for me and bringing me in the game so that now if I want to go do that on my own, I can. Doesn't mean that I have to, but I can because I've got the experience now. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I really like I really like that analogy, too, the way you laid that yeah. out and explained that. Because um, what I the way I think of it, too, in terms of like a JV is essentially like a partnership, right? A syndication is just you're just putting up money and you just get you're essentially buying income. Whenever you're involved in a in a in a in a syndication um, as a as one of the limited partners, um, but in with the partnership, I love the partnership. Just in even just in small scale real estate, right? Just I love that as a way for people to get started because what happens essentially is you're covering someone else's shortcomings and they're covering your shortcomings in a way, right? Because there's always something that you can provide and there's always something that someone else can provide, right? And I tell people this all the time say, hey, I don't have money to get started in real estate. Well, everybody has, if you don't have money, then you should either have hustle and you should have time, right? And when you have that, if you have that, you should have the knowledge, right? So you can partner with someone that doesn't necessarily have the time or the hustle um, to be able to be involved in real estate, but they have the money. So you cover each other's shortcomings and you provide value in that way. And that's a great way. And even, I mean, looking at it on this large scale, JV, I hadn't even been thinking of it like that And I'm going to have to definitely start considering that more because the syndication route is, I mean, of course, you know, we start looking at the SEC regulation and all that stuff. It's a whole different ballgame. But just in regards to, like, the financing and, you know, being able to leverage other people, I think that could be a lot more, uh, you know, especially for the first deal. I think that could be a great way to get actually involved and get started. Marvin, what were you about to? say or did you want to comment jerome
2: yeah i comment too but i really lo- i like how you laid out the the, the jv um like that, that entire process because that really allows like for it sounds it's synonymous with ownership in a way like everybody is going to be like part owner to this pro- to this deal this property and everybody's going to gain the experience that's going to be in favor for the banks later on when they're trying to do their own thing so everybody is like in like they, they everybody's bringing something to the table, like sometimes adding some type of value. So, whether you're a contracting company, whether you are uh, the GC, whether you are the um, I don't know, just a, everybody has is bringing their own thing to the table, and that everybody's gaining that experience at the same time. I really like how you laid that out. And uh, moving forward, what also say that um, fit like when you're talking about getting to deals, I know a lot of people like to. Like go, going to deals by themselves and not really like have anybody along with them. Like everybody, some people have like a selfish mentality when it comes to like to making money, and they are always looking for a way to like to get in without anybody else around them. And um I think this is like a, a great perspective that you're providing because in some some instances you can't get into the door unless somebody else opens the door for you. So it's it's all about understanding that people are out here that's going to that open doors for you that you otherwise wouldn't be able to open up yourself. So now with that being said, how do y'all split the gains? Like when it comes to or split um, who's making what, because uh, when you get into a joint venture, I'm sure you have to, there's going to be documents that describe who gets what, who gets what a uh, percent of the profit. How does that
1: work out? Yeah. So that's going to be captured in your operating agreement. And the great thing about real estate is everything's negotiable, right? We reward, reward people who find the deal. And it doesn't mean you went on loop net and brought something back that was being marketed by a broker (laughs) for finding the deal. You get rewarded for signing the loan. We give equity for that. And then everything else is pretty much how much equity are you bringing to the table? And that equity equates to a percentage of ownership. And that's how we break it out. We think that that's fair and it digs into the hustle piece that you're talking about. And, uh, you know, we 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 characterize it this way, though. Every investor is trying to overcome four challenges, knowledge, deal flow, experience and capital. And it's in that order. Right. Mm-hmm. People talk about I can't invest because I don't have any money. Well, it doesn't matter if you don't have any money, because if you don't have any experience, the bank's not going to lend to you anyway. If you are bank that. Right. If you if you don't have any experience or if you don't have experience and you don't have any deal flow, your experience doesn't matter because you don't have a deal to apply the experience against. And if you don't have any deal flow, but you don't have any knowledge, you can't tell the difference between a lead and the deal. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So you're already stuck in the water. Right. So I tell people, get knowledge, get educated. And it's not just listening to a podcast. And this is my favorite example. This is, I, I love stories, man. They'll know this podcast is going on. We might have to do a part two, guys. But look, all right, I am going to start my MMA career. Right. Conor McGregor is going to be my first fight. I need you guys to give me 500000 between the two of you. When I win, you're going to get a 15% return on that money. right? If I lose, you get nothing. Now, you, you're looking at me. Man, I'm, you know, I'm bigger than Conor. Bro. Like, I, I can do it. I, I'm big. All I've done is read books, watch YouTube videos, and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it, bro. I can send you wire instructions whenever you're ready. <laughs> go get some experience. <laughs> exactly. A coach, right? Get him. Get something from somebody who's walked that path, and that's the point, right? Like it sounds ridiculous that I'm gonna go get in the ring and find Conor McGregor. But I can tell you that these apartment buildings and a lot of this other money that people want to put into these is not buying a widget, right? You are buying a wild animal that you have to tame in order to create increase in net operating income so that you force the appreciation of that property. Right. Yeah. You increase that value. This, again, I can't, is not buying widgets. This isn't buy low and sell high. You're buying low, improving the operations, and then you can sell high. And this is why I put that experience in between the deal flow and the capital. Capital chases experience, Mm -hmm. including the bank. Smart Mm -hmm. capital is always going to chase experience. Experience chases deals. Knowledge chases deals. The deal is what everybody's chasing, but you've got to be educated, and it doesn't cost a lot of money to be educated, right? And So you can do that. You can get really valuable to the marketplace by having deals, and then you can partner with people who have experience and can usually link you with capital because you've got that deal. But you can't skip that experience part. And everybody wants to tell you that you can. Money doesn't find deals. Money finds experience. Experience finds deals.
2: Mm,
0: I love that. Man, it's just that, that, No, it it goes back to the positioning too thing, too. Cause it's like you can't be trying to be doing, you know, because everyone always thinks that the capital is the biggest thing. Like that's the biggest hurdle. But you got all these other things that you still haven't even like you're let's say you even get the capital. Okay, you got the money. Go get a deal now. Go make it work. You ain't go. I promise you're not going to come back with a good deal. I promise if you, <laughs> I promise what you're going to buy is going to be a bad. It's like, I mean, it's it's the same. It's the perfect analogy. It's like we see the lottery winners. You see yeah, the pro athletes. Yeah. They get the money, you know, and they don't know what to do with it. So it's squandered. It's blown. It's all gone because they're they had they don't have the pr- the pr- they're on step thirteen and don't have step five. They don't have those previous things that was supposed to be. Um, uh, that came up like when you when you become wealthy like slowly you you know you you start broke and you eventually you accumulate all the skills and things that are necessary to be able to manage and handle that money And it's really the similar situation here in regards to the um you know being able to get into these larger assets i love that point too especially talking about how you know you're not buying like like even as It reminds me too of like uh, when I tried to get into the trucking game too, a similar exact same thing happened to me. I went to the, I probably, I got rejected by 10 to 15 banks before I finally got told yes. I literally went on one Friday, I went to 10 banks and got told no by 10 straight banks, literally in one day, in one afternoon. And it's really, it's essentially, it's not like me in the same way me buying a apartment complex is not like me going by a primary residence house. The same way me buying a semi truck is not the same thing as me buying, my uh Mazda, right? So it's a completely different game. You're buying a business. It's just a s it's just a I mean it's it's the vehicle that you're using, but it's a business that you're buying. You're not buying something that's like built for you know leisure or you know something to for just people to use. So it's a completely different mindset. And I really love the way you explain that and approach that.
1: <clears throat> yep. Y'all didn't say you're gonna send the money though. <laughs> <Bro>. <laughs> Y'all not going to support me?
2: Uh, I'm going to have to pass on this one, bro. (laughs) Come back with that coach and that experience. We we may reconsider. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, (laughs) no, but... That was that was just a very good lesson. I, I love the, the four steps you were talking about, though, because that really breaks it down and shows people what they really should be going after when it comes to trying to get into something that's new. That That's not in the realm of what they've already been doing. When you, If you're trying to get into a real estate deal for the first time, whether it's a single family, whether it's a multifamily, you have to go through those four steps. Like You need to understand that education is key. After education, you need to know, know what a good deal looks like, because education is going to teach you what that deal looks like. And then once they had a, once you have um. Once you show what the deal looks like you need to start getting that experience by getting into the deals that you are allowed to get into or that people will, that, that will get, give you that experience in order to get into the bigger deals like just so you, the route that you took with the flipping people you'll get you're, you're more likely to get that loan for that single family resident. Uh, rental property or flip deal as opposed to getting that 23 unit so it's just about taking those steps and work like i said working backwards and then once you have that the money's going to be looking for you if you have success with that with the experience that you've had so i think we've learned that ourselves very much so with just doing a podcast with doing more deals and sharing our story i think we've well by us building that experience and that credibility money is looking for us now and that's really what it's all about is um just those four steps that you that you uh, listed so yeah definitely I, I like that lesson very much so I don't, know, Alex, I don't know if you had any other questions that you want to ask um oh man just i wanted to
0: kind of move forward into kind of just because i know we probably uh about an hour now but i wanted to move forward into just in in regards to like um you know what you're doing now how you're trying to like continue to progress and where you're going and you know and how how like what's the end goal what does all that look like for you
1: yeah i don't know that we have an end goal but i think at the highest level. Uh, we're pursuing a portfolio of $1,000 here in Greensboro by 2028, right? And the goal there is just to be the market maker and just be a true influencer and own this marketplace. Uh, in addition to that, I think it's teaching people how to get into the space, right? And so we've packaged up our approach so that people can do the stuff more efficiently than I did. The most expensive mistake that i made along the way, we talked about what happened with the 23, most expensive mistake i made along the way was not getting any curated content, right? I listened to 40 hours of podcasts a week. And I did that for years on end, trying to make sure that like, boom, I was getting everything, I wasn't gonna get blindsided. And what I figured out the hard way was, one, everybody who wanted a podcast didn't talk about the challenges. Everybody made money, And everything went exactly as it went to plan. And I just want your listeners to know that's not a real thing, right? Right. And so we started a podcast called Multifamily Missteps, where I bring operators on from around the country, and they share their war stories, just so people know what can go wrong. We're not Mm -hmm. competing. I'm not competing with you guys. You guys aren't competing with me. There may be a very small window when we do, where there's a deal on market, and you want to pay this, and I want to pay that. And at the end of the day, whoever can make it, whoever can pay more, wins that deal. But outside of that, we should be working together, elevating the collective knowledge of the community so that we become better operators overall. Right. And so that's what multifamily missteps is about. Um, we got a podcast called Dream Catchers. I think a lot of people are trying to exit the matrix. They want to get out. Right. They, they want to be free. And so we tell the stories of people who've exited the matrix. You get the tools, tactics, and techniques that they use to get out and what they're doing to be successful today. And so we've got those two resources. If your listeners are interested in multifamily investing, if they jump over to MyersMethods.com, they can get a free four-step guide that breaks down what you can bring to a deal if you don't have a ton of money or you don't have a ton of experience. So that they can figure out how to get into space and get moving. Because at the end of the day, I want more people to grow wealth. And I'm not telling you you're going to get rich overnight. What I'm telling you is to go deep sea fishing. And I'll use this as my last example. There's a lot of people out there who will say, you know, just go big or go home. You know, go do this 100-unit deal and make $10 million and it'll all be good. And it'll be worth spending 25 or 50 with me. So that you can get the education you need. No, I want you to go get some tuna in a boat. Stop hunting Moby Dick, right? You're trying to hit a grand slam. I want you to get a base hit, right? So go, go deep sea fishing, throw it out there, find out if you like fighting that tuna, get the tuna in a boat, come back in, let everybody see what you caught right? Because that's what mm-hmm. they're all waiting. They're waiting for you to come back to shore and see if you caught anything. Then go back out. This time with a bigger boat. Now maybe you get some swordfish. You get some marlin. You get some bigger fish. You bring those fish back. You show them that you got those fish. Now if you want to go a well, guess what? All those people that are there, they might be willing to get in a boat with you mm-hmm. so you can go get that well. But if you didn't go get the tuna or you go get the marlin on those previous trips, you don't have a track record to yeah. point. So it's no different than me going to fight Conor on my first MMA fight. Right? It's just not realistic. right? And I want people to understand, and it's an extreme example, but I truly want people to understand what they're asking folks to do. Right? The bank in particular doesn't bet on dreams. They don't invest in dreams. They, vet, they invest in proven business plans with multiple exit strategies for them to make sure that they stay whole. And a smart investor is going to do the same thing. And so, when you go to talk to somebody who's wealthy, they're wealthy because they're prudent in their approach. They're not taking crazy bets. And you've got to position yourself. I like your positioning. You got to position yourself as somebody that is somebody who's well educated and ready to go ahead and be a great steward of the capital that's placed in your care. Right? For me, that's the foundation. Like, I'm not going to lose your money. And I need you to know that before. I might not make you any money, but I'm not going to lose. Preservation capital is rule number one.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, man. I love that. I love that. Because a lot of people will say that they want to raise private capital and do all those things in order to like, fund deals and stuff. I'm like, look, you had to be so confident that you, especially on your first deal, you had to be so confident that you know you're not going to lose these people's money, that you would be, number one, willing to put your own money in the deal. And number two, you know, if you did lose their money, you're going to empty your savings to make sure that they get paid right. back. So that's like the biggest thing I wouldn't I would lose all of my savings before I lose a dollar. Anybody else's money. Mm-hmm. That's my name. And your name is going to be way more, <laughs> you know, valuable than what those dollars that you make could be. So I love it. So. We could kind of wrap up now. We want to do with yeah. the, uh, we want to do the uh, fast five. This is typically where we uh, ask you five questions and you answer them in 10 seconds or less. Um, and we'll kind of get into that and wrap up the show. So um, I think I'm going to actually do six, though, because there was another one that I didn't want to ask. I'm going to do six. We'll do that one towards the end. Um, <clears throat> so I'll take the first one, and Marlon will take the next one. We'll alternate. So first question, what does success mean to you?
2: Significance. All right, question number two. Uh, what's your favorite money or business book?
1: Millionaire Success Habits. has been the, probably the most foundational book for me just because I'm good at doing a bunch of stuff. And so I'm gonna I'm 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 do everything, but I don't need to. I need to allow other people to express your genius on the things that we're working on.
0: And what, who's that bar?
1: Dean Graziosi.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha third question would you rather have a thousand dollars a week for life or one million dollars today and why
1: million i can turn that million into ten yeah easy easy yes
2: sir (laughs) all right question number four if you could go back and change anything about your journey what would
1: it be i would have started multifamily sooner (laughs)
2: you
0: would have started it sooner
1: absolutely absolutely i'm i wasted so much time I wanted to go into multifamily when I was a sophomore in college. I went and had a whole career on the backside of that. I I wasted over a decade, almost two. I knew what I wanted to do. I just wasn't doing it. I should have got really laser focused, find out who owned that building, and then went and knocked on the door and say, I work for you. On a Wolf of Wall Street moment where the guy says, you show me a check for $70,000, I work for you. I should have did that right then, and I didn't.
0: So then this is the extra question I want to ask. So of course, you know, we have a platform and we have people listening. What is something that is, you know, you might need in your business or something that um, you're looking for that someone that is could be listening could provide for you? Me included.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think the real value for me right now is I'm just standing up the media company. We're putting out a ton of content and I live on LinkedIn more so than Instagram. Mm-hmm. We're putting together a ton of content and I just want, like if you if you type my name in your favorite podcasting app, I'm tied to almost 200 podcast episodes, right? And so, but I'm not doing anything to push that to social. I'm not doing anything that to push that to websites or my email list or any of that stuff. And so now we're building out the media company so that we can help educate other people so for me i think that that piece is huge um and i i say that and i don't have a specific ask there but what i I partner or pair that with is you know spreading the word right i we don't think about word of mouth but it's huge like if somebody hears this and it touches them go tell at least three people because for me It's about helping as many people as I possibly can. My success is exposing people to this asset class and showing them an actual path that they can use to get into it instead of being sold snake oil or say, invest in my fund because we're going to buy back, the block and all this other stuff and then not actually do it, right? right. Like I want people to actually win and not everybody's out for that. They want you to win after they win. Now I want you to win.
2: All right, to the last question. I think you kind of answered it on, that, on the previous one, but where can people find out more about you?
1: Yeah, man, so at the highest level for what this is i mean there's two websites i'll give you both but i really want to push the myers methods.com because i think that's where people are going to find out the most about multifamily. that was the majority of our conversation i've got one at a higher level called jerome Myers.co, and on that one you can find out everything that we've got going on we've got a couple of books out we've got two live events and then we've got our different operating companies so people can see what we have going on but um MyasMethods.co, I think is the best way, and then connect with me on LinkedIn, man. I'm trying to give people jewels every day there, and I I just love growing the following. We're going to ten thousand this year, so it's going to be amazing.
2: Well, yeah, this was a
0: super dope episode. I appreciate you, man, just coming on here and sharing your story. Like I said, you're a great storyteller, and, you know, this story was <laughs> very powerful just the way it unfolded in terms of, you know, how you got your start and what you're doing now. So I appreciated you. I appreciate it, and, um, you know, continue to, you know, do what you're doing and spread the word. For sure. <clears> appreciate it. Appreciate having you, man. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Money Monopolizers podcast. New episodes will be released every Thursday and will be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Just search Money Monopolizers wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you learned something of value today. If you did, we'd appreciate it if you rated us five stars and loved us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find out more info about us on Twitter at The Monopolizers or on IG at Money Monopolizers. We post informative content on there that'll be sure to keep you engaged. So check that out and share those posts. But until then, we're out of here.
1: You've been listening to the Money Monopolizers podcast, helping you take control of your financial destiny. To learn more about how you can be in control of your money, visit MoneyMonopolizers.com. We'll catch you next time when Alex and Marlon share more personal finance and wealth creation tips with you. Now it's time to take action.